0: Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? Been a minute, almost two weeks, in fact, since the Monday before I left for Chicago. I'm going to unpack what I saw at Wrigley, specifically as it pertains to the St. Louis Cardinals. They stumble a bit. They get swept at Wrigley and then drop two of three to the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm also going to talk some NFL. Specifically, we're going to talk about Odell Beckham because he just keeps coming up in the news as it pertains to the Browns and what their season's going to look like. We're going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys, America's team. They have some contract extensions that they are or are, are not going to hand out to some of their key players. But before we get to any of that, the most pressing topic on episode 16 of the podcast Keith Oberman and his comments yesterday regarding the St. Louis Rams. The St. Louis Rams have been dug back up here in St. Louis and everyone has their pitchforks out and they're pointing at Keith Oberman. The reason it was brought to light is because the St. Louis Blues are playing the San Jose Sharks in the Western Conference semifinals. However, before it was known that the Blues would be taking on the Sharks, there was a possibility that they would be taking on the Colorado Avalanche. And, of course, their controlling owner is Josh Kroenke, the son of Stan Kroenke, who, of course, is the Rams owner. And he uh, orchestrated the move from St. Louis back to Los Angeles. And the reason it was brought back up is because longtime ESPN analysts, um, or not analysts, I would just, sportscaster, he's held various roles. I know he's even dabbled in some play-by-play. I caught one of those games, and it was absolutely awful. But Keith Olbermann tweeted this out. Often I disagree with Fan Umbridge. In this case, I can't understand it. St. Louis stole the money-printing Rams from SoCal by bribing Georgia Frontieri. By what self-righteous, hypocritical standing does St. Louis have a complaint because SoCal stole them back? Spoiler alert, none. I think the only thing true about uh, as far as substance in that tweet is the fact that St. Louis stole the Rams from SoCal, which is in fact true. Uh, the Rams were able to convince Georgia Frontieri to bring the team here prior to the 1995 season. However, Keith, the reason why they were able to do that is because the Rams were not printing money. Far from it. They couldn't get any money. Georgia had no faith in the stadium plans that were being concocted over there by, I believe it was Lee Steinberg at the time, the now agent um, of many players, uh, specifically in baseball, but also star quarterback Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs. Um, I think he was in on some of those, but at the time, the Rams were making no money. Keith, they had to leave Los Angeles, actual Los Angeles, because they were in Anaheim. They were in Disneyland. They were making so few dollars that Georgia had to take this bribery, if if we want to use your words. I call it a sweetheart deal. She said, yeah, sure, we'll go here because at least it's a guarantee. Anaheim, you guys aren't – you're not selling out the stadium and you're not really putting anything convincing as far as a new stadium is concerned. So, yeah, Georgia went to St. Louis uh, where she's had some ties and uh, the Rams played there for 20 years. But then the worst thing – at least in my opinion, is that Keith decides to say SoCal so stole them back. Yeah, Olbermann, guess what? There was no campaign for the Rams to come back. Nothing of actual momentum. Of course, you had the, you know, Rams, Uh, the, the guys wearing the horns out in Los Angeles, if the Rams ever played like in San Francisco, uh, back when they were in St. Louis during those California trips and such. You would see some some of that, but there was no actual momentum Uh, from the Los Angeles area to have Kroenke bring the team back. Kroenke decided to move the team there, and then Los Angeles said, oh, okay, you're here. Well, why don't you get to work because you guys suck. So really just a whole lot of wrong going on with this Olbermann tweet. And it kind of just brings back, the, you know, the memories of how uh, the Rams left St. Louis, and you know, it really just brings back memories. You, you get people fired up uh, around St. Louis when you when you start talking about it because they will uh, they they will put you straight, uh, fact from fiction. And I'm glad to see that people were doing that here with Olbermann. Um, you know me, I think I've talked about it in the past. I'm not really as emotional when it comes to that conversation, despite being from the area. I kind of saw it from. I don't know, a 1,000 miles away. Um, I think some of the coverage as far as how that move was uh, going to be played out, uh, some people were misled because I don't think they were really taking the NFL for what it is, and that is they are a bottom-line entity, man. It is all about money. And it really just seemed, from my perspective, that all Kroenke had to do prior to to the move was get 24 of his 30, uh, 31 friends, 32 including him, he needed 24 votes, 23 others, to move that team to L.A. because he was able to convince him that his Taj Mahal out there is worth a hell of a lot more money, both to him and the rest of the league, than anything that's going to be built in St. Louis. St. Louis thought that they were going to be protected by the NFL, by the uh, basically farcical bylaws that are relocation they're just in there to be in there but really they're not abided by it is all just handshake agreements it's all put it to a vote 24 out of 32 when it comes to the NFL um you know like it or not but I think that led to some of the disappointment that St. Louis had in the whole uh, fiasco that was that three years probably more than that you can date it all the way back to 2010 uh when Kroenke took over the team uh, permanently or not permanently, but it was, uh, it was fully his when he bought it, when he beat out, uh, uh, what's it con down with the Jaguars. So, um, you know, it was a pretty poor way to end it for that fan base. And they're rightfully upset. Um, but you know, it's just, it's really just despicable when you got people like Oberon who are just trying to depict it in a way that, you know, it wasn't, and you need to get your facts straight because people around here, Keith, they will set you straight. Fact from fiction moving on from moving talking about a team that will never move the dallas cowboys they have made some uh, headlines here recently because they have some contracts to either uh, dole out or not and stephen jones the uh the chief operating officer i believe that's his title but he, you know he operates with jerry he's the owner slash gm and he is uh he's talking about The benefit of players, specifically the ones that are uh, next in line, about the perks that come with being a Dallas Cowboy and why that is a negotiating tool that they're using, um, you know, when it comes to contracts. He talked about endorsement opportunities. Uh, life after football, specifically TV, and how that is something that they use and something that they should consider when uh, drawing up their contracts, at least their agents, the football players. It really is one of the more unique things about playing for the Dallas Cowboys. Not only do you have the opportunities after football, and let, let's face it, we had one just this past year with uh, with Jason Witten. He went off the field into the broad, broadcast booth and really, there was nothing, you know, enticing about Jason Witt, his personality. Um, obviously, he's a productive player, he's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, it's specifically, you know, he played for the Dallas Cowboys. If he's a, you know, Buffalo Bill, I don't think he gets that opportunity, even though he's a Hall of Famer. It was an absolute disaster. He's now back on the field, but it just goes to show. Michael Irvin, very good player, Hall of Famer, in part because he has three Super Bowl rings with the Dallas Cowboys. It's one of many things about playing for the Dallas Cowboys that really is a benefit to you that's unique from other teams. The thing that the G- uh, the Joneses have always um, sort of laid the foundation for as far as their franchise is that when you play for us, you're not only glorified nationally, but also you are a part of our family. It's a family operation with the Dallas Cowboys. You see the way those guys are treated When they come back, all those Hall of Famers, even not Hall of Famers, they're part of the Jones family. It's work hard, play hard. We know that we're a national brand. We know we get a lot of attention. We know that Dallas can be somewhat of a sin city. If you want to go out and have some fun while also producing on the field, we have your back, even when you are no longer a cowboy. Example, Dez Bryant last summer. He's hanging out with Jerry Jones at a concert at AT AT&T Stadium. A few months after he got cut, Jerry hangs out with plenty of his players still even after he cuts them. The Dallas Cowboys are a family operation. We take care of you when you're in trouble. Examples, Ezekiel Elliott. Jerry Jones sued the league. He sued the league to uh basically you know, take over Roger Goodell's contract extension. Every owner was ready to get it done, and he decided to sue his other fellow owners, all because of Ezekiel Elliott. And then also there's this guy down in Dallas who just takes care of every problem known to man. His name is, uh, he goes by The Wolf. His real name is David Wells, but he's called The Wolf. Google it sometime. It's a very interesting uh, situation that they have going there. Every organization has, I'm not going to say... Yeah, fall guy's a bad word for it, but basically just someone that makes problems go away. Anywhere from a player, you know, um, you know, being out at a club and punching someone into the face to actually, you know, like actual, you know, problems within the locker room. This uh, David Wells guy actually lived with Des Bryant for a few years. Um, Pac Man Jones actually lived with him while he was uh, coming off his year long suspension with the Bengals. He played with the Cowboys the following year. But the Dallas Cowboys have a unique operation going on. You are treated like family. You are treated like royalty from those around you. And it, it brings you all these endorsements, these uh, career opportunities after football, namely television and such. But guess what? Because of that, we expect you to take somewhat of a discount when we offer you long-term contracts. We expect you to have our back. Not only on contracts, but when you have polarizing issues such as the National Anthem. What did Jerry Jones say? Toe on the line, hand on the heart. I have your back on everything. I need you to have my back on this one. I cannot have people taking a knee in Dallas, Texas during the National Anthem. Contract time, national non-related sports issues that infiltrate into our game. I need you to hang with me on this because I have your back on other things. It's an interesting dynamic that's going on here with the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott, soon Jalen Smith, Byron Jones before him. They have a lot of players to pay. They don't dip into free agency too much now. We're going to see who gets paid, who decides that they love being a Dallas Cowboy going forward. When are the Cleveland Browns Not going to make news. I think the only good news to come out this week from the Cleveland Browns was their coach. He kicked things off uh, on Monday by trying to simmer down and bring everyone down a couple notches because, as we all know, it's played out on the field, not through the media. But then his own general manager, his own player, decided to just kick dirt on that because the next day a GQ article came out where Odell said he's trying to make the Browns the Patriots. And you know what the first thing that came to my mind about that was? No Patriot would talk about their own team and the accomplishments that they have because they're already on to the next one. The Patriots are too busy being the Patriots, focused on winning, while in typical millennial fashion, Odell goes to the media and talks about how good they're going to be. All right, you know what? If you want to do that, that's fine. People eat that shit up. It's basically, you know, it's commonplace now. It's accepted, but when the Browns start things off, hypothetically, if they start things off here like two and three, and then a reporter comes up to Odell, is is he, is it going to be okay that if he gets snooty and says everyone calm down, everyone's criticizing us, everyone's counting us out? Because, I, you know, I got questions. If you're going to go ahead and do this and talk about being the Patriots and talk about how many games you're going to win, you know, people got a right to then question you if you get off to a slow start or if you don't have the ball or if you have a couple drops early in the season. You talked about how great you were going to be. Let's back it up. And then, you know, you got John Dorsey today. I see all he's talking about fan bases. Cleveland's got a better one than Green Bay. It's like, oh, great. Great. You're, you're just you're, you're through the media, too, now. And John Dorsey's a a good general manager, knows good players when he sees them, knows how to put a roster together. But Lord Almighty, it just doesn't end. The head coach tries to set the tone on Monday. GQ article on Tuesday, and now I'm looking at this stuff here on Friday afternoon as I record. John Dorsey has entered the mix. When are the Cleveland Browns just going to shut up and uh, worry about preparing for the 2019 season? One other reason besides actually having to prove it on the field that the Cleveland Browns need to be quiet is because there is also a team over in Pittsburgh who I think is very, very formidable. And yeah, count me among those. It's pretty common for people that think the Browns need to uh, uh, bring it down a bit to think that the Pittsburgh Steelers are still a threat. Count me among them, okay? I I think that really we're going to see a Ben Roethlisberger that not only is very motivated, but also I think we're going to see quite literally a different Ben Roethlisberger. It's been somewhat commonplace for him to come up a little, or excuse me, to visit training camp. Uh, Noticeably, trimmer. I think Ben Roethlisberger, we haven't heard anything from him. We haven't seen him anywhere. I think he is just in the gym uh, he's training, and I think we're going to see a, a thinner Ben Roethlisberger. He's just going to be healthier, and I think he's ready to get things back on a Super Bowl track. It's been a while since he's been to a Super Bowl, 2011. I think he's ready to go out with a bang here, and he's got his center behind him, Marquise Pouncey. He's got Roman Foster, his, uh, his guard behind him, and he's got other players behind him as well. He's got new faces, too. One big reason I think the Steelers are going to be all right next year is because a lot of their needs positionally they address through the draft. They got Devin Bush, probably one of the best all-around players at linebacker in round one. They got a cornerback, Justin Lane. He's from Michigan State. Just look at their track history at that position. It's pretty doggone good. They also got that uh, Benny Snell guy. He's the Kentucky running back. I think he's going to be a contributor along with James Conner. And then they have – Who is that? Deontay. He's from Toledo. He's interesting. I don't know much about him, but apparently he's a pretty good route runner. And, you know, with the simplicity that is Pittsburgh, they run a very traditional offense, very traditional. It's predicated on Ben Roethlisberger being able to throw every route in the book. So it's, you know, it's simplistic, but it's also effective because it opens up a lot of different route combinations. I think the Steelers are going to be very motivated. Not only are they going to be just motivated by everything that's uh, transpired across the offseason, they are playing in New England week one and seeing the banner raise by the Patriots. Cleveland Browns need to look out. Baltimore Ravens, eh, I'm not really buying that offense identity. Okay, Like I said, it's a novelty. I don't know how long they can play that. Really hinges on uh, Lamar Jackson, his strides in year two. Uh, and then obviously the Bengals. They can, uh, you know, they'll compete with anyone, but obviously new uh, head coach. New, really roster designer between him, and, uh, between Mike Brown and Zach Taylor. So it's going to be really the Steelers. It's going to be the Browns, but the Browns need to understand Steelers are right on their heels. Cardinals coming off a victory last evening. They just beat the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, by a score of seventeen to something. They pounded them last night but they uh they desperately needed that win because they have been struggling of late they're 4 and 6 out of their last 10 so they it was a tough road trip all right one that I actually visited I was out at Wrigley and the bleachers got fried to a crisp despite it being 50 degrees just the elevation of those bleachers and the sun bearing down on you uh yeah I was pretty uh, I was pretty red so It was a good weekend overall of Cardinals baseball from the standpoint that I want to say that Friday was a game that really you just got to tip your cap to Kyle Hendricks. He was magnificent, absolutely magnificent, and I think that there should be nothing to be ashamed of on that end. However, the rest of it was just a disaster. It was not very good. Uh, You Darvish pitched well enough uh, in that game, and then they just couldn't get the timely hitting uh, in that game that they, that the Cubs got from Mike Davis, who I, I didn't even know who the hell that was. Okay. I was wondering where Victor Carantini, uh, where he was and why he wasn't catching, but Mike Davis hits a grand slam, uh, and the Cubbies win that one in addition to a Javi Baez home run in the bottom of the eighth inning. So not a good weekend for the Cardinals at all outside of the fact that they, they got beat in just a couple of situations. However, things uh, are going to be able to get better. I think they go to Atlanta next week after they finish things up here with the Pirates, and then they go down to Texas. That should be some winnable games. And then they get their crack at the Cubs and the Phillies once again uh, a couple weeks from now. But overall, I think this is shaping up to be a pretty strong Cardinals team. The most encouraging sign, I think, is the fact that the Cardinals are actually swinging the bats. Yes, yes. They are swinging at strikes, and they are making contact. And I'm not one of those that thought they need to cut down on the strikeouts, okay? Because their strikeout rate last year was actually average, okay? Their walk rate, yeah, it was actually okay. They're keeping uh, keeping that up this year, actually cut down on the strikeouts a little bit, which is good. But the main thing that they're doing, they're swinging the bat. Last year, they were really good at laying off pitches out of the zone, pitches you don't want to swing at, and they're continuing to do that. Second best in the National League, but last year they were the worst at making contact and the worst at choosing when to swing at pitches inside the zone. They're actually doing that now. They got one of the best contact percentages uh, in the National League, and they're actually swinging the bat at pitches inside the zone uh, you know, they're, they're average, they're eighth in the national league. So it's better. They were amongst the worst last year. So I'm happy to see that the Cardinals hitters are choosing to swing at pitches that they need to, that you're seeing damage. Um, they're scoring some runs, but they need to be picked up from their pitching staff right now. The pitching staff, I, I think it's the same problem that really just has be, uh, been at the beginning of the season. They're not putting themselves in favorable counts. You're seeing pitch counts escalate. They're not going to go deep into games. And right now, You have the relievers, namely John Gant, John Brebbia, Miller has gotten better, Uh, Gallagos. Okay, he's been a great addition, even though he's been up and down from uh, Memphis already a couple times this season. These guys are saving them because they're fresh. It's at the beginning of the season. But if you continue to do that, either those guys are going to have to begin starting games or the starters are going to have to get a little bit of length. Um You know, the pull bend is going to get deeper. Carlos Martinez is going to join them here in two weeks, I think, 10 to 14 days. It was reported today here on May 10th. However, um, you know, someone's going to have to give lengths, one or two guys here. It can't be all five because right now you're not getting too much length out of anyone. Michaelis is heated up. He's had a couple of better starts. And that's exactly what the Cardinals need. If it can be Michaelis, if it can be Flaherty, you got to get a little bit of length right now. They're relying on it, much like the Brewers did at the end of the season. However, it's the beginning of the season now. You got to get a little more length. I like what the Cardinals are doing. It's a good recipe. I think they get back on track. Pittsburgh is banged up right now. They can take advantage of the series here on Mom's weekend, and I think the Cardinals have a nice little May that could shape up for them quite nicely. Short edition of the podcast here this week. Okay, in honor of Mother's Day, spend time with your mom. Moms are the best. I'm unfortunately not going to be able to see mine. She is in France. So, if for whatever reason you are not celebrating Mom's Day, if you cannot be with your mother, uh, if your mother is unfortunately passed, or if you just hate your mom, maybe your mom sucks. Um, call me. Let's hang out. I can't. I'm not going to have anything to do. I don't watch uh, Game of Thrones. I'm not into the fantasy mystical you know goblins and you know zombies and all that crap i'm not into that so i have nothing to do i can only uh i can watch some baseball but i'm not going to wake up from noon and watch it till uh you know 10 p.m at night so give me a call uh my mom is a wall my mom is enjoying herself on vacation so um enjoy your weekend have some fun let your hair down and uh hug your mom today call your mom today let her know that you love her moms are the best we'll see you next week